Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. All right, about that time on the Survivor Show to start breaking down these actual playoff games. We've been talking about the playoff itself for months and months and months. The games are here, and what Shahan and I are going to do is spend this entire Wednesday pod breaking down Alabama, Cincinnati. And then next week, the Wednesday pod is going to be Michigan, Georgia. And we will tell you our plan. I think it's getting locked in kind of is that when we get to the week of the games, Shahan's kind of going to be around the Alabama Cincinnati game in Dallas. And I'm kind of going to be around the Michigan Georgia game in Fort Lauderdale. And we're going to be doing some extra podcasts that week with one of us at each site, which will be pretty cool. So we'll be able to bring you more in-depth stuff, which means, Shahan, we are not making picks right now on either of these games. Because I will tell you, I've covered enough of these bowls now. It's my 17th year covering college football. You You think you know what you think, and then you get on site. And I think you, I do believe in, you get a feel for the teams, you get a feel for the game, you get a feel for the intangibles, you get a feel for the matchups. And I am always open to changing what I think when I get around the teams and when the information starts coming out. So we're not making picks, but we're going to break down the matchups and who has edges and that kind of thing for Alabama, Cincinnati. But I do think that kind of stuff is is important. You've covered the game, not as long as I have, because you're a young man and I'm an old man. But do you believe in that as well? Yeah, I think it matters. I, I think that uh certainly it depends on the game, right? I mean, in the playoff, you're not worrying so much about motivation. You're not worrying so much about engagement, stuff like that, because everybody's engaged, right? Everybody's excited for this. But I do think that uh that you can kind of tell a little bit the air of a team kind of just by talking to people, seeing if they give similar answers, seeing if they're on the same page, seeing if they're kind of uh, a little discombobulated. I mean, I, I remember back uh, back in 2019, I covered the Sugar Bowl and like a lot of Baylor, uh, a lot of Baylor uh, players got asked questions about Matt Rule potentially leaving for the NFL, right? Like that was, that was part of it. And I think that when there are those kinds of distractions, I'd be curious when you're down there uh, covering the game in Miami, whether you get a lot of questions at Georgia about Dan Lanning, right? Whether that's kind of a distraction. I think it's going to be good to kind of feel that sort of thing out. Um, and, and yeah, I, I do think that, that sort of thing matters. Even just, I mean, I, I haven't seen this year any of the four teams live in person. And so I think also just physically seeing people and seeing, okay, Hey man, these are not the same size or these guys really can. I, I think that sort of thing can matter. It's synthesizing information. That's what we're supposed to do because you're there. You're taking in team A, you're taking in team B, you're absorbing the differences, the similarities, the attitudes, and then you're trying to come to some conclusions. So we're not going to make a pick, but we are going to break down where Bama has an edge, where Cincinnati has an edge, where each team has a worry and sort of the players to watch. And I will tell you, I enjoyed digging into this a little bit. I'm sure we, I have some stats. I'm sure you have some stats. We both watched some games. This is a 13-point spread. It opened at a 13-point spread when it was announced. It's up to 13 and a half. I feel like this is a game. I feel like this is a game. And we're not making picks, but two touchdowns to me feels heavy and feels based on one Alabama game and two reputations. And I will say... I don't, this is not a fair comparison because this Alabama team has Bryce Young and Will Anderson. But when I covered Ohio State versus Alabama in the very first playoff, that semifinal, there was a chunk of that that was, well, it's Bama, right? There's a, well, it's Bama that enters in the conversation at this stage of the year, which is valid in a lot of ways. But back then it was like, I mean, Bama is Bama, but there are levels of Bama still. We have to be able to acknowledge levels of Bama. And back then in 2014, Blake Sims was the quarterback. And listen, man, Blake Sims wasn't – he wasn't Bryce Young or Mac Jones or Tua Tonga Bailo. He wasn't even A.J. McCarron, right? And it was like, well, that Bama team had Amari Cooper, had Derrick Henry, but it, all, I mean, it, had, it had some flaws. It wasn't quite as good. And then that Ohio State team could play with it. This Bama team, Shahan, has been a flawed team in multiple ways much of the year. And this is, I'm going to say multiple things in this podcast that make me sound like a crazy person. Yes, they have 
arguably the best player in college football in Heisman winner Bryce Young, arguably the best defensive player in college football in edge rusher Will Anderson, and arguably the best receiver in college football in Jamison Williams. But other than that, isn't that a crazy <laughs> statement? But I actually kind of mean it. And I know they have other great players, Jordan Battle and Henry Toto and Evan Neal on the offensive line. I, I know, I know that. But I don't think one through 22, it's just not last year's Alabama team. And my main thought process here is if Bama plays like it did against Georgia, I don't think Cincinnati has a chance. But Bama didn't play like that in any of the previous 12 weeks. So if Bama plays like they did in any of the previous 12 weeks, especially if they play like they did against Auburn and a backup quarterback in Auburn in a game that they should have lost, Cincinnati absolutely has a chance. So I have to evaluate this game, Shahan. I'm not going to assume we're not going to see the Bama team that beat Georgia, but my evaluation is sort of going to sort of assume that because otherwise it's like, well, I don't know. Then they might win by 30 if they play like they did against Georgia. Yeah, I think that the big thing is no one's questioning Alabama's ceiling, right? Because Alabama's ceiling is doing what they did against Georgia against anyone, right? Like it's doing it against Ohio State. It's doing it against Georgia. It's doing it against Michigan. None of these teams, if Alabama plays their best game, can can beat them, right? I mean, I don't think that that's like a... I don't even think that that's like a take, right? I mean, and and it's <laughs> like the funny thing is, I, I just feel like we talked about it a little bit on the Tuesday show. Whenever Alabama plays its game and, and dominates a team, it's like, you know, we, we talked about the two teams that have uh, that are kind of outside of that real top level teams that have made the playoff uh, Washington and Michigan state before who got killed 62 to seven combined against Bama. Well, like, I don't know. I mean, that happens against a lot of teams that, that happens against Clemson. That happens against Ohio State. That happens against anybody. So, so I do think that, uh, even though this is a flawed Bama team in a lot of ways on both sides of the ball, mind you, uh, I do think that you just have to acknowledge that if Bama plays their best possible game, then yes, they're the most talented team in football. And we can just put that to the side. I think that this question is much more about what's the most likely scenario, right? What's the most likely scenario that we see? What's the most likely version of Bama? And the most likely version we've seen of Bama has not been the one that we've seen, that we saw in the SEC championship game. It's some amalgamation of the ones in between. And I mentioned it a little bit again on the Tuesday show. I think the fact that they're going to be both of these teams are going to be healthy. Both these teams, it's going to be ones versus ones. It's not going to be a battle of attrition. It's not going to be a battle of depth. I think that that actually makes it more competitive potentially than uh, than if they had played even in a national title game. I agree with that. And I, I do think there's a motivational thing that I want to talk about later, but I want to get into the matchup stuff now. Where do you think Bama has the biggest edge in this game? And again, crazy person, Doug warning. I found it easier to come up with Cincinnati edges than I did with Alabama edges, believe it or not. Yeah, no, I and I understand. I definitely understand where you're coming from. For me, though, I did gravitate to a specific place. I think that Alabama's interior defensive line is nothing like Cincinnati's scene, right? I mean, that I, they're so big. They're so consistent. Uh, the way that they use Will Anderson is really interesting because you kind of just assume that they're going to line him up as like this edge pass rusher kind of, you know, whatever. But they do use him in a lot of different ways. You see him screaming down the middle a whole lot. You see him uh, coming into run support a whole lot. Like a lot of the time with uh, with pass rushers, like I'll compare Aiden Hutchinson you know, I mean, he was at like 15 and a half tackles for loss, 14 and a half sacks, right? So he really was a pass rusher. With Will Anderson, you're talking about over 30 tackles for loss, 15 of them sacks. So like they're using him in a lot of different ways. So I, I almost consider him a part of that unit with the way that they use him. So uh, I think that Cincinnati's going to have a really hard time getting anything created on the inside of, of Alabama's defensive line, just because I don't think that they've seen mass like that before. I do think that there's going to be situations where their defensive line is able to push guys forward and, and really kind of collapse the pocket for Desmond Ritter. And so from that perspective, I, I think that Alabama has a big advantage there. And I don't think that Cincinnati has any obvious ways to cover that up. Mine is actually very similar to that. I, I sort of was specifically talking. You actually got more specific. I said Alabama's run defense based on a lot of that interior stuff. Uh, 
Jerome Ford, again, who is an Alabama transfer, that'll be a nice little story uh, of this game. The running back for Cincinnati is a very solid running back who's a really important part of their offense. But I do not think he is going to have a lot of room to operate, either inside or out. I don't think they're going to be able to get a push inside, and you can't get to the edge on Will Anderson and Dallas Turner as these outside backers, right? Like, I don't think they're going to win that speed matchup on the edge. They're going to have to run Jerome Ford to keep the Alabama defense honest, but I don't think they're going to get a lot out of it. Alabama is fourth in the nation in uh, rushing yards per game allowed, 83 a game. They're second in the nation in yards per carry, 2.51. Georgia ran 30 times for 109 against Bama, 3.6 yards per carry. Georgia had been basically averaging about 200 rushing yards a game before that. So I just think it's going to be a slog. And I think almost Cincinnati has to assume that. And I'm trying to figure out what to work this in. There's a lot of Desmond Ritter stuff that I didn't make a category, but Desmond Ritter is obviously so important to this game. I think Desmond Ritter has to run. And he has not done that a lot. He has followed the path that a lot of quarterbacks do, that the older you get and the greater understanding of the offense that you get, you don't run as much because you don't need to, because you're not scrambling and you're not searching for answers. You see the answers with your brain and your eyeballs. In 2018, his first year as a starter in 13 games, Desmond Ritter had six games of at least 50 yards rushing and one game. One of those was of at least was 100 yards rushing. 2019, 13 games, five of them rushed for at least 50. Three of them were over 100. 2020 in 10 games, six games, at least 50 yards rushing, two of them over 100. This year in 13 games, one game over 50 yards. No games over 100. 13 carries for 65 against South Florida. I think Desmond Ritter is their most dangerous player. He's their smartest player. He's their most athletic player. He is the guy that you want with the ball in his hands. And I think Cincinnati's going to have to run Jerome Ford to keep Bama honest, but he's going to have to keep it in zone reads. He's going to have to take off and run when he sees openings. That will open up the passing game. I think as much as they can't slam Jerome Ford up the middle, I think they have to throw and scramble in the middle of the field. I just think it's so important for Ritter to find yards in the run game because I don't think they're going to be there for the normal run game. And I'll, and listen, like you, there's, there wasn't a lot of reason to run Desmond Ritter, right? He's, he's like a computer now. He sees everything. Watch what he did in the second half against Notre Dame to win that game. He sees it all, but he's going to have to see it and take it with his legs at times to keep that defense honest. Cause I think the regular run defense is going to shut Cincinnati down. No, I totally agree with that. I, I'll touch more on Desmond Ritter. I think when we get to one of our other categories, but, uh, but certainly I think he's going to play a huge, huge role in this game. And in a lot of ways, I think that Desmond Ritter, if you are a team like Cincinnati that kind of does need to just find ways to take advantage of things. Desmond Ritter is exactly the kind of quarterback that you need, right? You almost don't need a Trevor Lawrence. You almost don't need that kind of guy. You need somebody who's just going to see what's in front of him and take what's there. And it is a difference if you're starting to look at, well, Bama just took about took apart Georgia. Why would Cincinnati have a chance? It's like, well, one of the places you would start is Stetson Bennett versus Desmond Ritter. And everybody would take Desmond Ritter. All right, let's go to where Cincinnati has the biggest edge, Shahan. Where did you go there? Yeah, yeah, this is definitely an interesting one. For me, the answer is, well, actually, let, let me preface it this way. So, I went back and watched, uh, the bulk of the, the Alabama Georgia game and the Alabama Auburn game along with some of the Texas A&M game today. And the thing that was interesting was that the biggest difference in those games was against Georgia. Alabama tried to do something that no team has really been able to execute and they really attacked them outside. They tried to play the game on the outside. They tried to create one-on-one matchups. They tried to get their receivers in space. I don't think they're going to be able to do that the same way against Cincinnati. I think that Cincinnati is built to be able to kind of take away that outside. That's not to say that Alabama's wide receivers are going to do nothing or that they're at a disadvantage or anything like that. But losing John Mechie before this game too and really putting a lot on Jamison Williams is really interesting to me because while Williams, I think, is clearly the more more talented player, Mechie is their possession guy. 
I mean, he had over 90 catches before getting hurt. Uh, and now they're going to really need some really young players to step up uh, in a big way. And that's not to say that you can't expect that. I mean, it's Alabama. They got a million five-star receivers waiting in the wings. But this is not the same Alabama team that had Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and Jerry Judy and Henry, Henry Ruggs, right? It's just not that same kind of team. So I do think that with those that cornerback t- uh, tandem of Kobe Bryant and Ahmad Gardner, two guys who are going to be selected really early in this upcoming draft, uh, Ahmad Gardner, probably a first round NFL draft pick. Kobe Bryant won the Thorpe Award as the best defensive back in college football. They haven't faced anything like this. The closest that they've come is uh, is Auburn did have Roger McCreary, probably the other best cornerback in the country, and they were able to really cause a lot of issues for them defensively. So Cincinnati being able to throw two of these guys at one of those receivers, I think, is probably one of the biggest advantages that Cincinnati will have on the field. I thought there were two areas where Cincinnati has a pretty clear advantage, just sort of in the talent matchup of things. And this was clearly one of them. But this is related to what my biggest Alabama worry is. So I'm going to slide to that and pull this conversation together. I mean, people aren't taking it for granted, but not having John Mechie is a huge deal here. Because in, in the Auburn game, when Jamison Williams went out because of a targeting call, I think in the second quarter of that game, we saw the Alabama offense have a pretty difficult time functioning the rest of that game because they only had one of their two main receivers. And really, they've got two guys. Like they, they have two guys that they have relied on in the passing game the whole year. So Jamison Williams is clearly more threatening and better. But I thought that was a taste, Shahan, of what happens when you take one of Alabama's two receiving threats off the field. And it blew a hole in the Alabama offense. So the hole that is getting blown in the side of the Bama ship is not as big, but it's still a hole. And this is going to allow this Cincinnati secondary that has five guys who tackle, who cover, who run to the ball, high motor, like they they just go hard, man. You go back. I went back and watched a little bit of Cincinnati, Georgia from the bowl game last year. You know, there's a play early in that game. They throw a ball in the end zone to George Pickens and Kobe Bryant just has like absolute locked in coverage and picks it off and just like just wins the rep. And they're going to win reps, but they're going to be able to drop a safety on top of Jamison Williams. They're going to, with this this five defensive back, Look that they play all the time, this 4-2-5, that's their base defense. They're going to throw that at Bama constantly and just say, take away Jamison Williams. And that there's not John Mechie right there. I don't know where Bama goes. They're going to have to go to somebody that has not proven to be particularly dangerous. So the worry for me, for Bama, is like, who's your second most dangerous passing threat? And I think, now listen, I mean, like with it, oh, I don't know, this this top 100 guy, this top 100 guy, this top 100 guy. I get it. And Ja'Cory Brooks like caught the the touchdown against Auburn late in that game that saved him and sent it to overtime, right? So that guy has like five catches the whole year, and he, he catches the touchdown against Auburn that saves the season. So they have dudes, but they haven't done it. And now they got to go do it against Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant and one of the best secondaries in the country. I think that's a real thing. That feels like a, this Mechie injury is huge. Yeah, no question about it. I, I mean, one thing that I'll mention, right, is that Alabama against uh, against Auburn, they lose Jamison Williams to a targeting in the first half. And that's a huge part of them not doing very much offensively is that they really have to kind of focus in on John Mechie. And then the flip side, right? So so Alabama scores 24 points in the second quarter against Georgia, uh, goes for over 300 yards. And that quarter alone, at the end of the quarter, I, I believe it was right before they scored their final touchdown of the first half. That's when John Mechie gets hurt. And you look in the second half, Alabama's offense does not look the same after that, right? I mean, they they did not do anything like that. They scored 17 points from there on out, but it was a 55-yard pass, so kind of a breakaway type thing. It was a pick six, and it was a field goal. That was the 17 points in the second half. It was a breakaway play, a defensive touchdown, and a field goal. So they have not been special when those two guys haven't been on the field together. It's funny. I mean, we talked about it over the offseason. The fact that Jamison Williams put, you, you know, 
he was in such a situation at Ohio State that that he could go to Alabama and be an instant contributor and immediately be one of the best wide receivers on that roster was a shock, right? Because they recruited that position so well, they just kept kind of putting guys in. But Mechie was really the only proven commodity that they had on the roster. And now with him gone, it's just Williams. So I definitely think uh, that, that that's going to be one of the bigger storylines in this game. And, and that kind of moves me on a, it's sort of a similar deal for me with, a, with Bama's biggest weakness. It's just, I don't, this is a weird thing to say for Alabama. I'm curious if they have enough uh, playmakers on offense. Mm. Because yeah. you do have Jameson Williams, who is a surefire home run type thing. But Jace McClellan was really their, their guy at running back who was the breakaway threat. And Brian Robinson, since Jace McClellan's been hurt, he's just more of a, a grinder. You know, he's not necessarily going to break off a 50, 60 yard run. He's more of a like, I'm going to get seven. I'm going to get eight. I'm going to, you know, he, that's just kind of the player that he is. So I'm curious against a defense like Cincinnati, who's the guy next to Jamison Williams who's going to stretch the field in either the pass or the run game? Now, Certainly Bryce Young himself is a playmaker. And when your quarterback's a playmaker, you can make things happen, right? You can find ways to, uh, to create opportunities for players. But I just don't know, uh, for Alabama, who's the guy who's going to throw Cincinnati a punch, I guess, that they're not expecting, right? Who's the guy who's going to find a way to change this game? They've got a roster full of five stars. I- I'm sure that they're going to spend the next month thinking about that question. But at this moment, I don't think that's anybody that we've seen. No, I mean, it, it is, and again, it's the discussion we had in the preseason. It's, it's just kind of remarkable. They just kind of are in this little dip because they had so many good receivers. They kind of hit a dip in recruiting where they had trouble sort of squeezing guys in there. But John Mechie, 96 catches this year for Alabama. That's who's out. Jamison Williams, six, 68. Next is Slade Bolden with 32 catches for 333 yards. Next is Brian Robinson. They're back with 31. Then you got a tight end with 20, another tight end with 16. Again, you're losing Mechie with 96, and the receivers behind him, Slade Bolden has 32, Treshawn Holden has 15, JoJo Earl has 12, Javon Baker has seven catches, Ja'Cory Brooks has five. They are going to be asking receivers, Shahan, to do things in this game that they have not been asked to do all year. And they're going to be asking them to do it against two NFL corners. And safeties who cover, run, and hit, and know exactly what they're doing. These these five guys operate as a connected unit. So I, I just think it's weird to think about. It is weird to think about, but that that is a real thing. Because when you look this year, long pass plays, Alabama is fourth in the nation with pass plays of 20 yards or more, with 72. So they they have been that team but and and Williams is first among those guys right Williams is Williams is the is the best deep threat in college football but but there's a connection there that I think one thing leads to the next leads to the next and I just think when you when you pull one of those pins it's not that it's all going to crumble but it's going to make life harder so I think that's a real thing I think that's a real thing so so we agree on that that the Mechie playmaker thing is a deal here We uh, are going to take a quick break on the College Football Survivor Show. When we come back, I'm going to give where I think Cincinnati has the biggest edge. And we'll do that next after this. In case you missed the last College Football Survivor Show. It feels like Quinn Ewers picking Texas is giving Texas a little momentum. They have the number six class in the country. Shahan, is this the beginning of the moment that puts Texas over the top? So here's the only thing with this, right? Oh, is no, that- it's the Texas side. Did everyone catch the Texas side from Shahan? Would I build up a whole thing about, like, Shahan, is this the moment where Texas becomes a national power? And Shahan goes, ah, Texas has never been a national power. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, middle school for me was a great time. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. All right, Doug and Shahan back. The Tuesday show I thought was actually pretty good. And it was looking at the teams as we are having National Signing Day on this Wednesday as this pod is being released. We sort of previewed it on Tuesday, not with nitty-gritty stuff, but with big picture. Who are some of the teams on the edge of playoff contention that maybe could get over the top 
with the recruiting classes that they're adding this year. We talked about a team like Texas A&M. We talked about a team like Penn State. We talked about some of the teams that have coaching changes and what has been the effect on their recruiting this year. Oregon, Oklahoma, Clemson losing, losing Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator, USC. And then we also looked at, hey, listen, man, you got to have blue chip recruits to make the playoff most of the time. How did Cincinnati do it? without having all these blue chip groups. So that I really liked our Tuesday pod. It's $2.99 a month to get all the Tuesday pods. It's 75 cents a show. Go to Apple Podcasts and sign up. If you buy stuff on Apple, you know how to do that. It's like buying Angry Birds. People still play Angry Birds. It's like buying, uh, I don't know, you can probably buy an, an NFT. You can buy an NFT on Apple Podcasts. I don't know. So go buy, go buy our show for $2.99 a month for the Tuesday show. This one's free. All right, so I thought there were two places where Cincinnati, again, when I'm looking for edges, like, oh, well, I fought this and this for Cincinnati, and I had to dig a little harder for the Bama edge. One was what you talked about, sort of that secondary matchup with the Cincinnati secondary is so good. The other is this Cincinnati pass rush going against this Alabama offensive line that has been a problem all year outside of left tackle Evan Neal, who's an All-American. But the other four guys are – you can find stats, Shahan, where it's like, oh, let's see where the uh, the Alabama offensive linemen rank. And I was doing some searches for pass blocking on PFF in the SEC, and it's like, oh, here's a list of 15 guys. And it's like, well, the number 15 guy, the worst guy, is from Vanderbilt. And who's number 14? Oh, it's the Bama guy. It is remarkable. Again, it is remarkable. There's a little bit – of a gap here. And I think with my Jay Sanders and a couple Curtis Brooks, a couple of these other Malik van, some of these Cincinnati guys, these veteran pass rushers, I think they have a chance to get pressure on Bryce young without having to blitz a lot because this Alabama offensive line has been vulnerable all year, which again, makes it not exactly a typical Bama team. Yeah. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Uh, you watch Bama and you just keep being like, how is the right side of this offensive line playing for Bama, right? Like, it just does not feel like a Bama unit. The left side tends to be pretty solid. Most of the pressure tends to come from the right. Uh, for example, Chris Owens, uh, who plays right tackle for them, allowed 31 hurries this year. <laughs> 31 hurries of Bryce Young. That's insane. Three sacks, two hits, like his pass blocking grade, 53.9. And JV on Cohen, who I believe plays on the right side. Let me, let me double check that real quick. Cohen is a left guard and Emil Ikior is the right guard. Yeah. So Emil Ikior, uh, he's a 72.7, uh, pass blocking. JV and Cohen, the left guard, 56.6. Both those guys combined for 34 hurries of their own, right? That's, that's not Bama numbers. That's that's not what's supposed to happen. And when you look at Cincinnati, right, I, I know there's a lot of talk about Majay Sanders. He's going to be more likely than not primarily matched up against Evan Neal. And Evan Neal's probably going to win that matchup more often than not. But they have enough guys, and they come from different angles is the other thing, too, in, in that sort of 3-3-5 defense. They're not just going to be blitzing uh, from the edge, right? They're not just coming from the edge. They're willing to go up the middle with their linebackers. They're willing to attack in different ways. They're willing to blitz with their uh, with their defensive backs as well. So I think that that's going to be a huge part of the game plan is just for uh, for Cincinnati to try to confuse Alabama's offensive line by coming at them in different ways. They have talent. They certainly are big. They certainly move well. But they've just done such a poor job of communicating and being on the same page outside of that Georgia game. And so I'm curious because uh, the other thing that you say about Georgia is that the one weakness that Georgia maybe had is they don't have many pure pass rushers. The one guy that they kind of did have uh, is now dealing with some off the field issues. So without that, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that Cincinnati is probably better poised to be able to take advantage of that weakness than Georgia was. When you talk about Chris Owens, the right tackle for Bama, again, he's he's given up more hurries, pressures than any tackle in the SEC. And when you look, you look at the pass blocking, the PFF pass blocking grade, all SEC tackles who played at least half the snaps this year, there are 15 of them. He's 14th. Gosh, <laughs> JV on Cohen left guard of all the guards in the SEC who played at least half the snaps. 12 of them did. He's 10th. 
Yeah. Darion Dalcourt, their center of all the centers in the SEC who played at least half the snaps. There's 13 of them. He's ninth. These are guys, again, Evan Neal, the left tackle. But like you said, it's almost like, all right, I think you could almost have it be like, let my J Sanders and Evan Neal play each other to a draw. Yeah. And Cincinnati will take its chances with Curtis Brooks and these other guys going after sort of deficiencies, not even average (laughs) SEC offensive linemen, but almost deficiencies on this offensive line. And I do think the thing, one of the things I think Cincinnati can't do is over blitz Bryce Young because there's no reason to take too many chances in this game. Double cover Jamison Williams, try to get three and four man pressure, and then let your back end guys do their thing. Stay connected, be smart, avoid the big plays, make them try to work down the field. Cincinnati forces a ton of turnovers. They get a ton of interceptions. Keep Bryce Young in a box, but like don't over blitz. There's you can find plays. Um, I think again, I was watching the Cincinnati. I was watching the Cincinnati Georgia Bowl game last year. There's a play early in that game where Cincinnati blitzed their corner and dropped the safety on George Pickens, and JT Daniels just threw a 60 yard bomb to George Pickens. It was like, why did you do that? You have these corners. Let your corners cover the receivers. Don't get too fancy and put weird guys in matchups. Lock them down. Don't blitz and box them in. And I think they, I just think they will get pressure, Shahan. I don't know that they're going to ruin Bryce Young's day, but I think they're going to make him uncomfortable because that's what this Alabama line's given up all year. Yeah, and I think the other thing about it too is that um, in in mild defense of uh, of Alabama's right side of the offensive line, a big part of it is that Bryce Young sometimes struggles with not wanting to give up on plays. I think we saw that a lot uh, against Texas A and M, uh, and and so a lot of these sort of deals can turn into coverage sacks, right? Where you do just see Bryce Young being unwilling to throw the ball away. And it's, it's kind of not a coincidence that he also goes right because he's a right-handed quarterback, right? And so that is part of it. It's not the only explanation. You know, most of it really is that bad. But, uh, but I do think that that's also an avenue where Cincinnati should be able to thrive is by getting some coverage sacks because you do have such good defensive backs. You are going to be able to, I think, bottle up a lot of their receivers. Uh, and so just, yeah, just, just play it straight. Uh, you know, definitely come from different angles. But don't don't give up your your pass defense in order to try to get after him because yeah you're right you don't need to. It is the the great playmaker give and take, which I covered at Ohio State for two years with Justin Fields. I asked Ryan Day a million questions about should Justin Fields hold on to the ball? Should he get rid of the ball? Because guess what? Sometimes when you hold on to the ball and run in a circle and run backwards 15 yards, it winds up being an 80-yard touchdown because you are a magnificent playmaker with a unique skill set that few people on this planet can do. And sometimes you hold on to the ball, you take up nine-yard sack on third and six, right? And then it's like, okay, well, then that wasn't great. I do think this kind of secondary it's the best secondary Bama's faced, right? That's not because it might be the best secondary in the country. I don't think we're exaggerating it. When you talk about Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant and, and these other safeties, Brian Cook playing unbelievable. Cincinnati, by the way, their defense, and again, there's some of this, okay, well, I'm saying, hey, these guys are the worst tackles in the SEC. It's like, well, it's the SEC. The SEC is filled with offensive linemen who are going to go in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. So meanwhile, Cincinnati, seven of the third, they picked 13 guys for the American Conference first team all defense. I just wish you picked the 11 guys, but I get it. They picked 13 guys. Seven of the Cincinnati starters were first team in all conference. Two guys up front, two linebackers, and three of the five guys in the back end. I mean, it's ridiculous. Brian Cook is a great safety. Veteran dude knows exactly what's going on. I think that if they lock up that coverage, I think you can force Bryce Young into a hold it, hold it, hold it, where nothing ever comes open, especially with no Mechie. And they are, I would expect a couple of covered sacks in this game, Shahan, because Bryce Young won't find the openings that he sometimes found this year. Yeah, and and I will say, this takes me to my biggest Cincinnati worry, which is there is just a chance I don't think it's a great chance. I don't think it's a big chance that Cincinnati's Lions just can't hang. 
right? Like that's just, that's going to be the existential question with a group of five team getting into the college football playoff. Can they just hang? Can their offensive line hold up against Will Anderson uh, screaming off the edge? Can their defensive line compete even with this offensive line that struggled and create those coverage sacks, right? Can you ask the defensive backs to cover for four or five seconds? And can you get home when they op- had the opportunity to do so? It's an existential question. I, I think that we've seen enough from them. I think we saw against Georgia last year. I think we saw against Notre Dame this year. Even though they weren't a good team, I think that we saw them against size against Indiana this year. They they didn't struggle, right? They were not blown off the ball by any means. But if you are fatalistic about Cincinnati's chances, I think that that's where it comes down to is can they just not block well enough to be able to really make this a game? And then I almost think you immediately have to jump to what can Cincinnati do to win even if they get destroyed in the trenches? And everybody says the game's one up front, right? And it usually is. But then it's like, okay, well, we're not sure we can actually block these block these Bama guys for very long. So we got to move the pocket. We got to run some misdirection. We got to throw screens. We got to throw throwbacks to the tight end. We got to do things so that while our offensive line is being destroyed, we have a chance. And then on the other side of the ball, you, you've got to you know, force early incompletion so that you can then pin your ears back and get after them. Because my big Cincinnati worry, again, is related to this, is Brian Robinson is not great, but he is big. He's a 225-pound running back, and this this three three five defense with these linebackers lurking in the middle of the field, good linebackers, right? Good guys up front. I I almost wonder if Nick Saban is just going to be like, cool, you play five DBs? We're never going to see them unless it's Brian Robinson running them over at the third level because we're going to hand it to our good but not great 225-pound running back. We're going to let our offensive line that has trouble pass blocking, we're going to let them get energized by run blocking every offensive lineman wants to run block and we're just gonna pound the ball up the middle until you stop us and i maybe they never do i think that's related to your line thing but it's particularly that idea of this cincinnati defense having maybe not seen i don't think they have a lot of brian robinson's in the american (laughs) conference i don't think they have many brian robinson's much anywhere I mean, this. I mean, he's like you know, Derrick Henry, like light, light. But you know, in that he's not the best running back in the NFL. But he's big, and he's and he's a load, and he's had some games. He's been like a little inconsistent this year. His yards per carry isn't great. He's run it two hundred twenty three times for only a thousand seventy one yards. That's four point eight yards per carry. Fourteen touchdowns this year, but on occasion, Shahan. He has taken over games and he has sort of been the guy they've needed him to be at certain times. And then other times he just hasn't done much. But I think you look at the old Miss game, right? Old Miss is a, is a team that wants to play fast, that wants to get a high scoring game. Brian Robinson, 36 for 171 and four scores. It's still only 4.8 yards per carry. It's not even that great. But it's just, we're just going to wear you down. Then the next week, the Texas A&M lost. They're trying to hang in there. 24 for 147. Those are his two best games of the year. He only has four 100-yard games the whole season. But I could imagine this Cincinnati game looking a little bit like that old Miss game where the guy, where this giant running back carries it almost 40 times. No, I, I agree. And I mean, the thing that you say about Cincinnati is that they don't have a 300-pounder at all on their defensive line, right? Curtis Brooks is close, 285. They have a 297-pounder, but, like, they don't have that bulk, right? And and that's something that you see every single team in the SEC, most teams in the Big Ten. Uh, but the flip side, I will say, their linebackers are big. Darren Beavers is 255. Joel DeBlanco is 240. So, like, I don't think that they're just going to get bowled over. But I do think that I, I do think that that's going to be a big part of Alabama's plan is going to be can we just wear them down? Can we just dare that that Brian Robinson's going to be less tired than those linebackers and then Curtis Brooks? And on top of that, because I, I think that the other part of that too is that 
if they can truly set up some of that play action game, I think that does change things, right? If you do make things more difficult. But if, if Cincinnati's able to stop Brian Robinson with their base defense, I mean, Alabama's in trouble, right? Like Alabama's in trouble if that happens. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's probably going to be somewhere in between those two things. But I think that's going to be a really critical matchup for this game is whether Brian Robinson can kind of take the pounding. You, you only need to churn out 4.5 yards per carry, but if he can keep those chains moving, I think that changes this game a lot. Okay, so we've covered where each team has an edge. We've covered each where each team kind of has a thing that maybe they should be worried about. Let's focus on the players to really watch on each side of the ball. Who is your Bama guy to watch, Shahad? My Bama guy is actually going to be Cameron Latu, the tight end. And the reason that I say that is... We know Bama's receivers, right? We know what they are. We know what they aren't. Jameson Williams, obviously that is such a deep threat. Uh, Slade Bolden, such a possession receiver type. He's not necessarily going to take the top off of defenses. But I think the biggest thing that you can say about Cameron Latu, and we've seen him show up in some very recent games, right? Is that I think that he's somebody who can create a mismatch against Cincinnati linebackers. I, I don't think that they're built to cover him. And the flip side of that, if they do need to move a safety down to help in coverage, that kind of throws off their entire game plan, right? I mean, that's that's a big part of their game is being able to play kind of that five-man shell. We've seen him have some big games before, right? He had 58 yards against Arkansas. Uh, he had 55 against Tennessee, 57 against Southern Miss. Like, He's had moments throughout the season. He's also, I, I think a lot of his catches have been in bigger moments in the game. He, I think that he might need to have, you know, the, the comparison that I, that I kind of immediately jumps in my head is like OJ Howard during one of their other title runs. Mm. Just came out of nowhere, right? Wasn't a huge part of their offense, but suddenly it was like, okay, well, you know how to take away other parts of our offense. We're going to unleash this last part that we really haven't shown to the world in a lot of ways. Uh, and OJ Howard really played a big role. I'm not going to sit here and try to remember exactly which year it was, but, uh, but, you know, played a big role in them potentially going and winning a championship. Cameron Latu is not OJ Howard. He's not that talented a player, but I do think that uh, role wise, he can cause some issues and maybe force Cincinnati to get out of their base defense. No, that's a, that's a good one. Mine, mine is a little more obvious and it's a guy you mentioned earlier. It's like, what if Will Anderson just is like, hey, everybody who didn't vote for me for the Heisman, I'm the best player <laughs> in college football, and I just owned this game. Because I do think, you know, Bryce Young had his moment against Georgia, and Will Anderson's been great all year, as as you said, leading the nation in tackles for loss by a huge margin. But maybe it's just one of those things where it's like, well, Sauce Gardner's good, and Kobe Bryant's good, and Desmond Ritter's good, but have you seen this guy? Have you seen what – does SMU have one of those? <laughs> Do they got guys like this at Tulane? Huh, Cincinnati? And it's just one of those where Cincinnati almost can't function offensively because they cannot block him or that if they triple team him, now here comes Dallas Turner, right, that it just changes everything. And I think that's on the table a little more for Will Anderson than it is for Bryce Young just because of this Cincinnati secondary. And as we said on the recruiting podcast, this Cincinnati offensive line is a bunch of veteran guys. It's four of the five have been in college football at least four years. A lot of them are sort of Mac level offer guys that have been developed at Cincinnati. It's a great credit to them. But it's just a different world. And Will Anderson is a is a second year guy. Everybody thinks he's going to be the number one overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft. And his Heisman campaign for next year might start in this game. And that is an obvious statement. But I just want to give a nod to the type. Aiden Hutchinson won the Ohio State-Michigan game. Michigan did a lot of other things very well in the Ohio State-Michigan game. But Aiden Hutchinson just kind of won it. Just kind of ruined Ohio State's day. And I just think that's... Obvious to all, but certainly on the table in a moment like this. And it's not on the table for that many guys in college football. How many guys can win a game by themselves? Well, Alabama probably has two of them, but I just think it might be a Will Anderson night. Yeah, yeah. And that takes me to my player to watch on the Cincinnati side. And I hate being basic, but 
I mean, Desmond Ritter is really going to define this game in so many ways. Uh, I mentioned off the top, right? He is a quarterback who has grown so much over the years. There was a time when he was kind of like a, like he was just kind of like a, okay, I'll kind of, you know, create opportunities with my legs. And if there's an open player, then I'll pass him the ball. But like he's really grown as a passer. He's averaging nine yards per attempt. Uh, he's hyper efficient with the ball, completing 65% of his passes. Like he's grown a lot as a passer, but there is that aspect of his legs that he hasn't really had to, to reveal to this point. He, he's been able to kind of put that part of his game away. And I think that's going to be a huge part in this game because I don't think that, that uh, Cincinnati's offensive line is going to get overwhelmed by any means. They, they held up really well against Houston and Houston's not Alabama. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Houston's Alabama, but they are a really good pass rushing team, but they, he held up pretty well and managed to kind of move the pocket. Like we kind of talked about, uh, only threw the ball 17 times in the game, but completed 65% of his passes, 11 yards per attempt, three touchdowns. That's probably the closest analog we have to this kind of game is his performance against Houston. Uh, and he looked really, really good and was hyper-efficient doing it. So the big thing is, right, if Will Anderson just gets after it, right, if he's able to pin his ears back and just go after Desmond Ritter, that's a bad situation. The thing that Desmond Ritter can do that Stetson Bennett can't do, that Cade McNamara can't do, that J.J. McCarthy probably can't do at this point is – he can just move things around, right? He can move guys around with his eyes. He can move guys around with his legs. Uh, and I mean, I won't lie, right? It's, a, it's going to be a little, uh, kind of dinking and dunking type potentially at points in the game, but he does have the arm right now. He does have the accuracy to also be able to take the top off the defense. So everything that you have question wise about Cincinnati's offense versus the defense like Alabama, Desmond Ritter has it within him to be able to answer those questions. I'm curious if he's able to do it. So I, one of the announcers in one of the Alabama games, I think was talking about Bryce Young and compared him to Aaron Rodgers in that there is chaos around him and he is like in a little bubble of total control, of calmness, of serenity. And it is a remarkable trait of Bryce Young and you can see it happening. And I get a lot of the similar things with Desmond Ritter. I actually think watching Bryce Young and Desmond Ritter, this is my comparison here. It's a little bit like Venus and Serena Williams in that Venus Williams came along and was like, wow, Venus Williams is unbelievable. And then right, King Richard, I haven't seen it yet. It's I, I want to go see it in the theaters. But it's also on my HBO Max, but I don't want to <laughs> let myself watch it on HBO Max because I want to go watch it on a big screen with popcorn because it looks awesome to me. But I haven't had time to do that because all I do is podcast. So I don't have time to go watch movies. But I'm. what is the conflict when it's in the theaters, but it's also on your TV? I don't want to watch it at home, but I also really want to see it. What should I do? Yeah, I, I run into that issue so much these days and I just end up not watching it either place and really screwing myself. So, so yes, go to the theater, go do it. Okay. I'll, I'll report back. Please do. So, so then the dad, Richard Williams is like, if you think she's good, wait until you see the little sister. I almost feel like that's what it's like with Desmond Ritter and Bryce Young, which is like, wow, Desmond Ritter is totally in control. He's very calm. He's very poised. He's really smart. And then it's like, wait till you see Bryce Young. And then Bryce Young wins the Heisman. But along the way, until Serena sort of took over the sporting world, there were still times when Venus could get her. And are we still at that stage where Bryce Young just won the Heisman, but man, he's still coming along a little bit. And Desmond Ritter's like, man, I've been starting for four years. I'm good. I got this. And he's going to have to have this. this. This game rests on him. I do think he is the number one most important player in this game. Because I don't think they can win with – they certainly can't win with an average Desmond Ritter game. I'm not sure they can win with a good Desmond Ritter game. I think they might have to have a great Desmond Ritter game with arms and legs and brain and leadership and decision-making and keeping them up when something goes wrong and making a big play out of nowhere. But I think he can do it. And again, we we talked about this before the Alabama-Georgia game. It's like, well, when did Bryce Young ever see a defense like Georgia? But when did Georgia ever see a quarterback like Bryce Young? 
has Bama seen a quarterback like Desmond Ritter this year, other than seeing Bryce Young in practice, right? I don't, I mean, Zach Calzada got him, man. Zach Calzada got him and he's in the portal. So if Zach Calzada can do it, then I think Desmond Ritter can do it. So, so I'm in total agreement with Desmond Ritter on that. All right. So let's get to my Cincinnati guys. I mean, obviously Desmond Ritter is at the top of the list, but I went with the Cincinnati tight ends, much like you went with an Alabama tight end. Leonard Taylor, Josh Wiley, two primary parts of their offense. I don't want to really compare anyone to Brock Bowers, the Georgia tight end, because he's like, he's a true, he's one of the best true freshmen in college football and one of the best tight ends in college football. He had 10 catches for 139 against Bama in the SEC championship game. I just think you have to work the middle of the field against these guys, right? Which is like Desmond, and I think Desmond Ritter has the confidence to do this. So the one thing I like about Cincinnati is they play, they use their tight ends a lot which sometimes they'll get in formations where they bring you in a little bit, which brings in the defense a little bit, bring some guys in the box, which I do think why they have to run to keep the defense honest. But then they'll try to they'll try to hit you in the passing game from a two tight end set, right? That they'll get compressed and then they'll go out to Alec Pierce on the edge, but they'll try to hit these tight ends, both of whom have 20 plus catches. And I, they're both, again, they're these are both four-star guys. These are both sort of, guys with sort of the natural high school talent, at least sort of on this Bama level. These aren't guys who are making a huge jump. These guys could have, could have gone to big 10 schools or gone to sec schools. So I just like, I don't know that necessarily that Bama is vulnerable to it, but I think Cincinnati has to do it and they, they do it naturally anyway. So there's going to be times when they're going to be keeping their tight ends in to try to keep Will Anderson off of Desmond Ritter. But there's also going to be times where they're going to get those guys out. And Ritter's going to hit him over the middle of the field, and I think they, ha- I think they have to move the ball that way. But they have a chance to do it, and I just Wiley and, and Leonard and Leonard Taylor have just helped make this offense go all season. Yeah, I agree, and and I think the big thing with the tight ends too is that I think that being able to play offense that way one changes the way, like I talked about with Law too, that Alabama can play defense, but two, I think that it's their best pathway to being able to kind of just move the ball with some consistency right because I think it's going to be a big part of the game I I mean they're they're going to have probably a breakaway score it'll probably be a breakaway Desmond Ritter touchdown it's going to be how can they generate more opportunities and I you know they have to get into the end zone a couple of times at least but I think that as long as they can get points on the board half their drives that I think that's enough to keep things competitive right I mean this is not the best Alabama defense of all time it's a really good I think Alabama defense but their linebackers I think can be moved I mean they they brought in Henry Toto because they had such little linebacker depth over the offseason and they knew that they needed to fill that gap uh you know and, and I think that I think that for both these teams I mean they have really good linebackers but if you can get them involved in the coverage game if you can get them out of position it does change the way that both these teams are going to try to defend you and um you know for for Alabama I think it's probably not going to change the way that they rush the passer but I think that it's going to change the way that they have to cover you if you do really start to prove that tight end is going to be a big part of this pass game all right I have a couple little nugs that I want to drop on you before we leave and we'll do that next on the college football survivor show the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line so we broke it down Edges for both teams, worries for both teams, guys to watch for both teams. couple other things I want to note. Cincinnati is last, 130th in FBS football in something that it feels like could matter in a game like this. Do you know what it is, Shahan? 130th? Uh, last. Yeah, last. Wow. Rice. Northwestern is 128, Rice is 129, and Cincinnati is 130. Three comparable academic schools, sure. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Field goal kicking. Really? Cincinnati is the worst field goal kicking team. They are 7 of 17 on field goals. 41.2%. Northwestern, Rice, and Cincinnati are the only three schools that miss more than half their field goals. Do you think you might need to make a field goal in a playoff game against Alabama? It drives me crazy. Of all the things that places like Cincinnati and Rice and Northwestern should be able to get, 
is some little guy who played soccer in high school. How can their kicking be so bad? It drives me bananas. They're awful at it. And they've missed you every game you watch Cincinnati. It's like, oh, Cincinnati on an important drive here. They'll try to go up 10-0 here in the middle of the second quarter. No, missed a 31-yarder. Like, it's it's unbelievable. And they don't even try that many anymore. So Luke Fickle's going to have to be aggressive because, like, man, it's it's fourth and three from the 21. What are you going to do, try a 38-yard field goal? It's less than a coin flip, man. Go for it. So it's it's just remarkable. It is a remarkable thing, and I'm sure it keeps Luke Fickle up at night. <laughs> that is that is unbelievable. I will. I mean, you cannot afford to not take points when they're given to you by Alabama's defense when you're Cincinnati. Like you said, this this feels like the one thing that you should be able to do. I mean, for for goodness' sake, Luke Fickle, you coached in the Big Ten all these years. Don't you know that you're supposed to have an amazing kicker and a punter? That's like how this all works. That's where your recruiting starts. Hey, go get that guy. And then we'll try to see if we can get, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's some six foot two cornerback in Detroit that we can somehow get. I, I mean, they got Sauce Gardner. They can't get a kicker. I mean, I, I guess, uh, I guess if, you know, God forbid, uh, five years from now, Luke Fickle gets canned, we, we got to send him to the Kirk Ferentz school for wayward boys instead of the Nick Saban one. Yeah, for real. For real, man. <laughs> Kirk, can you spare a kicker, Kirk? Luke could use it. All right. Another thing I wanted to mention. Cincinnati, really good force and turnovers. Force 33 this year. Cincinnati's force 33. They've turned it over 19 times. They're plus 14. Bama has force 20, giving it up 10 times. They're plus 10. In, in I, what I would say are were Cincinnati's five biggest games, Indiana, Notre Dame, Central Florida, SMU, and Houston. I don't think I missed anybody there. They were plus two against Indiana, plus two against Notre Dame, plus two against Central Florida, plus one against SMU, plus one against Houston. They forced 12 turnovers in those games, only gave it up four times. They were plus eight in their five most important games. They were plus six in their other eight games combined. So when the game is on the line, they win the turnover margin. They have to win the turnover battle, which is something that everybody always says. And we were saying it with Iowa early in the year when Iowa was number two in the country. If they didn't win the turnover battle by four, they were dead. But Cincinnati, again, it's a reflection of their secondary being awesome. They get a lot of picks. They get after people. They sort of force you to hold the ball. They get covered sacks, and sometimes they knock the ball free from quarterbacks. Like They they have to be able to do that. It is a primary part of what they do, and I think keep your eye on that. Yeah, and I, I think that I think that their offense also does just a, re- a really solid job of putting itself in advantageous positions. I mean, I, I think that that's going to be a big factor, right? Just the way that they've been able to manage their offense. The only game that Desmond Ritter had more than one interception was the finale against East Carolina that they won by more than 20 points. Like, they play football in a way on both sides to take advantage of that inefficiency, right? To make you make a mistake. Uh, it reminds me of a conversation I had with a, with an old offense coordinator and, and he was like, more games are lost than they are won. And so our job as a unit is to make the least mistakes and wait for you to make a mistake in a lot of ways. And they certainly have more dynam- dynamism than that. But I do think that this is a unit that is built to do that. And the last thing I'll end on is this sort of intangible thing. So I know Luke Fickle decently well. I covered him for 10 years plus as an Ohio State assistant. I covered him when he was the interim head coach for a year. I've said this story like he was really kind of in it that year when Ohio State went six and seven and we would go in there and and I would grill him in the press conferences. Like he had a game against Miami where he sort of was mismanaging timeouts. And I was like, why did you do that? He was like, well, I was like, what doesn't really make sense? And then I'd go out and I'd follow him out afterwards. I'd say, are we being fair to you? Are we being fair to you? Because like you're kind of thrown into this after Jim Trestle's forced to resign. You didn't get to hire anybody. He hired one guy who turned out to be one of the best head coaches in the NFL. So his one hire was Mike Rabel. So that was pretty good by Luke Fickle. Everybody else he had to inherit. Weird, weird year. Then he stays at Ohio State. I went to his house when he wanted to be a head coach and I sat down with Luke and his wife and talked about, I'm ready to be a head coach. And I wrote that story and he got hired by Cincinnati like a month later. I mean, it's not the reason he got hired, but like he wanted it out there and ready to be a head coach. When I needed him for my book, then I called him and he like called me back. So that was good. Well, he's a great guy. He's 13 days older than me. So when Luke Fickle brought 
Cincinnati into Ohio Stadium uh, a couple years ago, I was shocked at how sort of unprepared they were for the moment. And it was it was a 42 nothing loss in week two in 2019. And it was a thing that stuck with me in my evaluation of Cincinnati for a long time. Cause it was like this big moment, this big stage, they, they look like a Mac team. I was like, well, Cincinnati's not any good. They got blown out on Ohio stadium. The moment was too big. I think for Luke, he didn't let his team talk to the media that week. He mishandled it. I think, I think he, he looked sick afterward. And Cincinnati has never played like that again. The moment has not been too big for Cincinnati ever again. So I do not think this moment is going to be too big for them. They went toe-to-toe with Georgia in the bowl game last year. They have been on a knife's edge the last two seasons, having to be perfect in the regular season, and they did it both times. And I think they will play a very good game. I do not think this moment will be too big for them. Bama, meanwhile, relished the opportunity to be an underdog against Georgia in the SEC championship. If they hadn't been an underdog in five years, Saban comes in afterwards talking about the rat poison. Oh, you fed the rat poison to Georgia this time. It was so great. We love being an underdog. Thank you. Now they're back to being Bama. They're number one. Now they're a two-touchdown favorite. Now everybody's going to expect them to blow out this group of five team. I don't know that we get the same Bama you get against Georgia. Because nobody's doubting them anymore. They can try to manufacture it, but it's fake. Nobody thinks Cincinnati's going to win. So Cincinnati can play with nothing to lose. They've achieved the thing that they set out to achieve. Bama, man, they're just they're just still being Bama, but they don't get to be the underdog anymore unless you think that Cincinnati will be weighed down on behalf of underdogs around the world, right? Other than the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team, this is and the basketball team, 1954 Milan High School in Indiana, the Hoosiers guys. This is the greatest underdog story in sports history. The Jamaican bobsled. I guess they weren't that good, though. Eddie the Eagle, whatever. Anything you want to make a movie about. They just made a movie. Did they really make a Sean Payton movie with Kevin James? Is that a spoof? Is that a spoof? It's, real. That real? it's real. It's not a spoof. How is it not a spoof? Kevin James? I love Kevin James. I love King of Queens. He can't be Sean Payton. He's a he's the guy. He's the he's the security guard at the mall on the scooter. He's Sean Payton. If they say that they're making a biopic of my life and then say, here's the guy who's playing you, it's Kevin James, I'm canceling. You're you don't have the rights to my life anymore. <laughs> Unbelievable. So I don't know. Maybe Kevin James. Actually, Kevin James looks a little bit. He looks more like Luke Fickle than he does Sean Payton. Although that's a still an insult. But Luke's very fit. Yeah, I, I don't know about all that. <laughs> Although you know what, for though, but you know for real, Luke Fickle. People all the time say Luke Fickle looks like Adam Sandler. Adam that's Sandler's fair. got dibs on that's that. That's fair. Totally go, fair. Go look at those photos, <laughs> Adam Sandler. If Cincinnati wins the national title next Christmas, <laughs> Christmas twenty twenty two. The Luke Fickle story starring Adam Sandler will be on HBO Max and in theaters simultaneously. That's that's fine. It's different than than casting Sean Payton and just putting out a call to all white guys. (laughs) Let me be Sean Payton. (laughs) I have a forehead and a face and I'm white. I mean, is that the only qualification? So – I don't think they have to carry the burden of every group of five team ever because, like, they've already accomplished it by having the perfect season to get here and having all these things break their way. So I think it is more likely Cincinnati plays its best game than it is that Bama plays its best game. But I think, like, a Bama B might beat a Cincinnati A, but what if you get a Cincinnati A plus and a Bama B minus? And all of a sudden, I think it's on. So I think the intangible edge goes to Cincinnati here. And Shahan, I think it's a game. I agree. I, I mean, I understand why the line is two scores, but I, I think that you're right. I mean, this is an Alabama team that dang near every player on the roster already has a ring from last year. There's nothing to prove at Alabama. They went and beat the team that's supposed to beat them. I, for Cincinnati, I mean, 
this isn't just about this team. This isn't just about this game. It's about this moment. It's about the opportunity to win a playoff game for the first time at Cincinnati. It's about a, a, a team that's never won a national championship before. <laughs> You're darn right it is, man. <laughs> but, but I think that this team, regardless of what happens, is going to go down as a once-in-a-lifetime team at Cincinnati, the best team in Cincinnati history. Whatever happens at Bama, they could win the national title. They will go down as Nick Saban's probably worst national title team if they do it, right? It's just, it's not the same. It's not the same uh, in terms of moments. Um, and, and I think that also the other thing, too, is just that for Cincinnati, they have a lot of upperclassmen that this is their last go round. This is their last chance. Uh, and, and for Alabama, not only do you have a lot of players who are going to be back in 2022, every player who's not going to be back in 2022 is probably going to be drafted, right? Like there, there's no path that ends in any way if Alabama loses in this game. Now, the thing that's made Nick Saban Nick Saban is that he's put all of that to the side for the last 15 years, and it doesn't matter. They show up and they play their best game. And I think that against George is a good example of him getting his team ready to play their best game. But at minimum, I expect Cincinnati to match Alabama in this moment. Uh, and again, I mentioned it. There's just a chance that they can't block him, right? That, that's always a possibility. That's That's a chance. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that we saw enough against the good teams that they've played, against the physical teams that they've played, that they can at least hang in the trenches. And if this game moves to the outside, I think it becomes really, really interesting because I absolutely think that Cincinnati has a path to winning that way. So the case for Alabama is more good players and the greatest coach in college football history. But Cincinnati actually does have a case on its own. And I'm going to call Adam Sandler's agent as soon as this podcast is over, put him on alert. And that thing that you started to say that's made me tear up, that's going to be the voiceover right at the beginning. Actually, we'll start with this podcast. <laughs> hey, what's everybody saying about the matchup in the Cotton Bowl? And then we'll go to Shahan breaking it down. So I think it's going to be a game. I do think it's going to be a game. Next week, we'll do Georgia-Michigan. The reason that we did Georgia-Michigan second is because we're still waiting for Stetson Bennett to be officially benched, <laughs> which hasn't happened apparently yet. Or Cade McNamara. Who knows? Yeah, for real. So anyway, uh, we're wait awaiting word on that. Maybe we'll never get it, but we'll do this kind of thing again in a week. We'll be back with another Tuesday show for Apple Podcast subscribers next week as well. For now, thanks to everybody for listening. Reed Shahan at CBS Sports, constantly cranking out the stuff, uh, doing great work over there. For Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.